0: So, so good to be able to be with you um, in person um, to to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our king uh, today uh, cannot tell you um, can't describe the the emotion that began to kind of overwhelm me in the back um, and just thinking about where we were a year ago today and uh, where the Lord has brought us and uh, continue to have great favor on where he will bring us uh, in the in the weeks and years ahead. Uh, but before we dive in um, to our text this morning, I do, I want to make you aware um, of, of a four-week class um, that's going to begin on Tuesday, um, April 13th at 8 p.m. on Zoom. Um, so any of you who are gathered here in person or any of you watching from home, um it's a perfect opportunity for you to be able to gather together. We try to make it at 8 p.m., so at least it's on. Maybe, the, maybe get the kids to bed just a little bit sooner. If not, you have a mute button, and fantastic, um, you know, that you can have there. But the class is entitled The Fight for Truth, Possessing and Defending a Biblical Worldview in a Secular Age. Essentially, what we're going to do within this four-week class is we're going to look at how Christians... We who are in Christ are to engage with a culture that is seemingly void of objective truth and thinks in many ways just radically different than we do. Um, we've we've talked a great deal here recently as we walk through Ephesians about what a renewed mind looks like, um, and so I want to take four weeks to help us think consistently as Christians, to help us in in this. And so if if you plan to participate, maybe you have more questions, feel free to ask. But if you do plan to, you can sign up on our website um, and just go there, visit our website, sign up. I think our newsletter has a link to that as well. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to our time together. Now, our aim today is simple. To set forth the reality of Christ's life His death and resurrection and look at what it means for us today. Quite simple. Because this is the truth. Speaking of truth and a fight for truth. the, The truth that we speak of today that gathers us here this morning is the truth that all other truths find meaning. The reason that they are true is because what we celebrate today is true. So open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 40, where we're picking up immediately following the death of of Jesus. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who, who came up with him, And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed and he said to them do not be alarmed you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he has risen he is not here see the place where they laid him but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him just as he told you And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Such good news. And what we're looking at today is literally the most important truth in all of human history. That Jesus, the the Son of God, died and rose from the grave. Which brings us to point number one. Jesus really did die. Now throughout history, there have been various theories proposed in in an attempt to explain away the validity of Christ's death. Maybe you've heard some of these theories. Some saying he didn't really die. He he just appeared that he died. We could spend hours discussing all these theories. But here's what's certain. The act of crucifixion it left no survivors. No one came off the cross alive. Now, Pilate was, was shocked when he heard about Jesus' death, having died only six hours after being on the cross. Most normally it took much longer to die. So what, what did Pilate do, just to be sure? Well, he, he summoned a centurion, a Roman soldier who crucifies people for a living. Like, this is his job Pilate summons him and he asks him, Is Jesus really dead? What's he doing there? Well, he's asking for evidence from an expert witness. And the centurion confirms yes, Jesus is dead. Spear thrust through his side just to make sure. So he's not kind of dead. He's not sort of dead. He's not mostly dead. He's dead. So there were three women, the centurion, Joseph of Arimathea, and others, all used by Mark as a list of eyewitnesses, all providing evidence that Jesus really was dead. Someone didn't believe, like, nah, I, I, don't, I don't believe it. They said, well, well, go ask these witnesses. Any one of them, go ask, and they'll tell you that he has really died, he's dead. Now why the importance of the eyewitnesses? Because evidence matters. Evidence matters and at the heart of Christianity is the truth that that Jesus, the eternal son of God taken on flesh, died on the cross. But then after he died, number two, Jesus was really buried in a tomb. Verse 42, it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. So it's Friday. As the Sabbath falls on sundown Friday evening through Saturday, and Joseph of Arimathea, who Mark tells us is a respected member of the council, that is the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, same council that had sentenced Jesus to death, he comes to Pilate and he asks, Jesus, he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. Just to note here as Scripture tells us, this took great courage on, on his part. Can you imagine? Like stepping out from his peers and around him and he's, he's going, he's asking for the body of, of Jesus. And after confirming that Jesus really had died, Pilate gives the body to Joseph. And then what does Joseph do? He buries Jesus in the tomb. And both Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, are among the witnesses. Again, witnesses being important because they can give an account. This isn't a hoax. This isn't made up. They saw him die and he was buried, as at the heart of Christianity is the truth that Jesus really did die and really was buried in a tomb. But number three, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Here again, people throughout history have, have developed theories in an attempt to deny deny the validity of the resurrection. Again, saying, well, he didn't really die. It appeared that he did. Others saying, well, somebody stole his body. Numerous other conspiracy theories. You didn't think that conspiracy theories were a new thing, did you? Been around for, for centuries. But here, Mark tells us that that Sunday morning, after the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, three women, bought spices so that they may anoint him. And when they arrived at the tomb, what do they see? They see the stone rolled away, which leaves them stunned. There's this is. Giant stone had been rolled away. They were walking up worried about how are they going to move it? How are we going to be able to move it? Now it's rolled away. Curiosity gets the better of them, and they enter into the tomb. And you know who they do not see? Jesus. They don't see Jesus. Who do they see instead? A young angel of the Lord sitting on the right side. Waiting for them to arrive. (laughs) He's sitting there dressed in a white robe and they're alarmed. Like, who wouldn't be? You walk into a tomb expecting to find Jesus. He's not there, yet there's this angelic man, young man, sitting there. You've come expecting to encounter this, and this is what you find. Yeah, I'm gonna be a little alarmed. You're gonna be a little alarmed. We're all gonna be a little alarmed, but look at what the angelic being says to them in verse 6 do not be alarmed you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he has risen he is not here see the place where they laid him but go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him just as he told you I love those words, like, just as he told you. They're pretty significant words. Why are they pretty significant words? Because Jesus had told his disciples and those following him on on three separate occasions that he was going to suffer. That he was going to die. Then after three days in the grave, he was going to rise again three different times. Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. He just tells them exactly what is going to happen and they don't get it. Like It never registers with them. They they never understand. Now, how do we know that they don't ever understand? Very simple. How many of them are waiting outside the tomb on the third day? There's none of them. How many of them are expecting the resurrection to happen? None of them. Now, at this moment, their hopes have been shattered. They're grieving because they genuinely thought, really believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Had a wrong understanding of what the Messiah was, but they believed. They believed Jesus was this Messiah. And based upon this belief, they had lived their lives, given up their lives just to follow him. They left their jobs, they left their families, identities—literally everything—behind to follow Jesus. But now, after three years of following Jesus, He's He's dead. So this wasn't a, jo- a joyful day of celebration for them, at least not yet. At this point, their, their confidence had been shattered. Their hope was gone. Joy non-existent. Like, what are we going to do now? Maybe if you're being honest with yourself, that may be the way that some of you feel today. Just, like you're putting on like a smile for the world to see, or your mask is covering that up. Maybe that's even good figurative speech, a good description of the masks that we wear to cover up our, our broken, confused, and, and desperate emotions that we are feeling. Maybe that you're feeling this morning. Maybe that's why you decided to, to gather here today. Maybe that's why you're tuning in this morning. And if this is you, I encourage you to take heart this morning. Dearly beloved, take heart because this isn't the end of this, the story. It's not the end of the story for the disciples, and this is not the end of the story for you, or at least it does not have to be. Why? Because of three simple words. He has risen. See, the resurrection literally changes everything. It's the truth that holds Christianity together because on the flip side, if Christ has not been raised, Paul tells us, Our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We would be better off just gathering and eating and fellowshipping in other ways, not doing what we're doing now. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead to the praise and the glory of God which means so will we who are resting in Christ. So just as death came through one man, Adam, so the resurrection comes through one man, Christ. Death comes through Adam. That is imputed sin. We were born sinners. And in life, life comes through faith in Christ. The life that we have, it's imputed righteousness. Meaning believing in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ changes everything about who we are, how we think, and how we live. And so in the time that we have remaining, I wanna use Paul's letter to the Colossians to provide a snapshot Of of what this new way of being, this new way of thinking, and this new way of living looks like. So taking everything that we've been studying in Ephesians and showing how the Bible is joining together for one, like, cumulative, cohesive story about who we are in Christ. It all fits together. We want to look at the implications of the resurrection for our life today. So we can say because of the resurrection, Christians will be presented blameless before God. Colossians 1, 21 through 23, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became minister. Paul, who wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, also wrote to the church in Colossae. And as we've learned about the Apostle Paul, he himself was once a hostile man to Christianity and all things Christ. He he thought it was foolishness. He thought it was blasphemy. He did not believe. But when he encountered the risen Christ, everything changed. And in writing to the Christians in Colossae, he, he says, we who... Were one, we who once were alienated, so no more, once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, have now been reconciled in Christ's body by his death. Why? Like Why reconciled? So that we who believe in Christ can be presented by Christ holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father. So like we've learned in Ephesians, God the Father choosing us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. But how then do we become holy and blameless? Yes, by the choosing, but through the righteousness of Christ that is imputed upon us. God the Father looking at we who believe through the righteous blood of Christ. This is the imagery. This is the imagery as means of illustration of an adulteress, an adulterous bride being presented pure and blameless before her groom. No blame or guilt to be found. Forgiven. Can you imagine? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the adulterous bride who has been, have been declared holy and blameless before the Lord. Which means, for you Christian who find yourself this morning unable to quit beating yourself up over past sin, understand this morning that the resurrection of Christ is proof That if you're trusting in Christ as your only hope in life and in death, your sins were washed, past tense, whiter than snow. Jesus received your penalty for you. And through continuing faith in him, you now stand holy and blameless before God. You have been forgiven. Stop beating yourself up. And remember, because of the resurrection, number two, Christians are buried with Christ in baptism. Picking up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when we repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus, we're what the Bible calls born again. We're a new creation. It's a spiritual transformation, a a spiritual baptism that is displayed publicly through our physical baptism. That's why believer's baptism is, is a powerful demonstration of the work of Christ in our life. We were buried with him in baptism that is immersed under the water, a picture of the death and the judgment that we deserve then ripped up from those judgment waters like Christ coming up from the dead, buried in baptism and raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, as the text tells us. See, Christian, we, like Adam, were once dead in our sin, but God Such good words. But God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins. Not some of them, all of them. Canceling our record of debt, and it was a long record of debt that stood against us. He set that debt, our debt, aside by nailing it to the cross. So just as Christ died on the cross, we who trust in Christ is our only hope in life and in death, we, we died to sin and we raised to a new life in Christ through faith. And the resurrection is the proof that all these promises are true. Now because of the resurrection, number three, Christians are to seek the things that are above He's telling us how we are to live this new life. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So since we've been raised with Christ, since we are now a new creation, this is our identity, we are to what? We are to seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We're to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Why? because we have died, the old self is dead and risen, new life found in Christ. Again, the resurrection changes everything. Christ did not save us from the penalty of, just from the penalty of sin, like a get out of jail free card. Hey, the penalty's wiped away. No, but from its trappings as well. He gives us new minds, new desires, new aspirations. So ask yourself, do you desire the things of Christ? Do you desire to seek the things that are above? If not, why? If the answer is yes, when when Christ returns, you will appear with him in glory. If the answer is no, you won't. Now, how can we have this confidence Because of the resurrection and because the resurrection, number four, Christians are to put to death what is earthly in us. Again, talking about how we live a resurrected life. Picking up in verse five of Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythin, slave, free, but Christ is, is all and in all. So just as we are to seek the things that are above, if we have been raised with Christ, we are to put to death what that which is earthly in us. Paul lists such earthly things as sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, Say, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming against everyone who does not take shelter under his blood. I don't have to get descriptive here. I, I believe, I hope that you understand what these things look like in your life or once looked like. If you don't understand, I'm happy to discuss. But as Paul tells us, these are the things we once walked in. And that once described us, but no more. They must not describe our lives anymore. Now we must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Why? Because the old self died. And the new self is being renewed in the image of our creator. These are the things that no longer mark the life of a Christian. Doesn't mean that they never occur, but means that they aren't what people think about to describe us. A Christian cannot be truthfully described as, oh, man, that guy, oh, yeah, man, he is. He is one sexually immoral dude. Like, you should hear the mouth on him. But he sure does love the Lord. Doesn't work that way. These things do not, cannot mark the life of a Christian. That's trying to mix darkness and light. It doesn't work. For when a Christian truly believing in the the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ does sin, and we will, he who says he is without sin, that person in the scriptures tells us is a liar. When we do sin as Christians, we're convicted of our sin. We repent of our sin. And we continue to trust in the grace of God to forgive us of our sin. It's a continual lifelong process of seeking the things that are above and putting to death what is earthly in us. So ask yourself, do these things describe you? What areas in your life must you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to put to death? And if you don't desire to do this, then why? Now, lastly, because of the resurrection, Christians are to put on love. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So while we are to put to death what is earthly in us, we who are children of God are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, patience. We are to be a people who who bear with one another and forgive one another. And above all else, we put on love. Why? Christians are a people marked by love. It's what binds everything together. Love is what Christ exemplified. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. Church, Christ laid down his life for us. He was buried, and he rose from the grave. Therefore, we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. We let the word of God dwell in us richly, doing everything that we do in the name of Christ. Oh, church, the resurrection, it truly does change everything. So the question today is how has the resurrection changed you? Are you living a resurrected life? If so, give God thanks. Give God thanks for what he has done and continues to do to make this new life possible. If not, you can. The good news today is you can, and I'd love nothing more than to talk with you about how. Whether it's after this service or at another time, please don't hesitate to to ask or to reach out. What we're going to do now is we're going to pray, and we're going to continue to worship together. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks. This resurrection morning, as we reflect upon the meaning of the resurrection for our lives today. We give you praise for the undeserved grace you have lavished upon us. We give you praise for the power of the cross and the defeat of sin and death. May we who are in Christ now by faith live in light of the reality of who we are. May we do so to the praise of your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and sing the power of the cross.